Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, May 25th, 2023. It's been 3,375 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 456 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. This podcast contains frank descriptions of war and its effects and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, there is an extreme risk that Russia will launch a large-scale retaliatory missile strike on Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure over the next 24 to 48 hours, dependent on the weather and with the scope limited to available inventory. Second, Russian tactics have validated our assessment that the Kremlin has moved to launching a small number of missiles on a more frequent basis and targeting areas with little military value, but that are appealing to an internal audience as proof of continued successful operations. Third, we maintain that private military company or PMC Wagner Group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin's claims that Russian proxy forces have fully captured Bakhmut are dubious. Fourth, In preparation for larger offensive operations, Ukrainian forces continue shaping operations on multiple axes, creating panic and uncertainty among Gauleiters, Russian administrators, and military leaders. Fifth, weather models indicate that Bezdorizhia, or mud season, will return by the end of May, leaving conditions unfavorable for significant military operations through June 6th. Sixth, We have identified shaping activity by the Ukrainian armed forces in four locations that could indicate a larger attack is being prepared. And finally, Russian forces have significantly reduced the number and intensity of their attacks except in the Marinka operational area, and we assess they are moving to a defensive posture theater-wide in anticipation of a Ukrainian offensive. In the Dvorichna operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and Deep State reported that Russian forces made marginal gains near Masyutivka, with a geolocated and pretty graphic video showing an advance of 200 meters southeast of the hamlet. We do link to the video in our full situation report on Patreon, and the map was adjusted based on the new intelligence. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, alleged that Ukrainian Surveillance, Reconnaissance, and Sabotage Units, or DRG, were operating in the area of Sinkivka. In the Kupiansk operational area, 
The Russian MOD also alleged that Ukrainian DRG units were operating in the area of Kislivka. After confirming that Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu's PMC Storm Z is operating in this area, and no other source, including pro-Russian sources, has reported significant fighting in the Kupiansk operational area, we find the claims of fighting suspect. We will continue to report the Russian Ministry of Defense claims in this region as there have been no claims of territorial changes. We'll use the word alleged in future reports without second source verification, pictures, videos, or other information, such as NASA fire information for resource management systems or firms data. We don't and will continue to not report unverified Russian or Ukrainian casualty claims. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Kremina operational area, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Artem Lusahor stated that it, quote, is hot near Nevsky and Ukrainian forces, quote, are holding the defense there. Ukrainian source Deep State reported that Russian forces were making probing attacks in the Serebriansky woods, trying to find weaknesses in the Ukrainian defensive lines. In the Lysychansk operational area, the GSAFU and Russian military mill blogger Warganzo reported that Russian forces attempted to attack Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, from the northeast, east, and southeast after significant artillery fire on Ukrainian positions, but were blocked from advancing. In northeast Donetsk, the GSAFU reported that a Russian attack, quote, in the area of Khromova was unsuccessful. Regarding Bakhmut, Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense Hanna Malyar said, quote, There is a decrease in the intensity of fighting on the flanks in the suburbs of Bakhmut, but this does not mean that the enemy is weakening. On the contrary, the enemy is trying to strengthen on the flanks and relies on artillery fire, carrying out constant attacks. At the same time, our troops manage to advance little by little. In the city of Bakhmut, the number of enemy assaults has decreased. In the city of Bakhmut, the number of enemy assaults has decreased. The enemy replaces units. Our defenders control part of the airplane district in the southwestern part of the city. End quote. After visiting western and central Bakhmut, the self-declared acting leader of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, Denis Pushilin, said that the transfer of control of the city from PMC Wagner had started, with members of the DNR Ministry of Internal Affairs taking responsibility for the defense of some parts of the city. Quick sidebar. The Ministry of Internal Affairs is equivalent to a militarized police force. PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin said on May 23rd that if Russia were to, quote, hand over Bakhmut to Ukraine, then the Wagner group would go within the boundary of the law, quote, in jackets with bloody hands to the Fruzinskaya embankment to ask uncomfortable questions, and then we'll go again to save the motherland. End quote. Another quick sidebar. The Fruzinskaya embankment is where the Russian MOD is located in Moscow. Prigozhin added that if the course of the special military operation does not change, quote, the relatives of those tens of thousands of killed soldiers in the Russian army can themselves take up the pitchforks and start asking questions. End quote. Assessment here. As we had previously assessed, Prigozhin has been laying the groundwork for months for the stab-in-the-back narrative if the Russian Federation cannot achieve its goals in Ukraine. 
This is a dangerous dialogue that the Kremlin is barely tolerating because they need the manpower within PMC Wagner, as much as they would like to eliminate the combat power of the organization. Prigozhin released another video, this time only three minutes, announcing that Wagnerites were in the process of withdrawing from Bakhmut and that the process would be completed by June 1st. NASA firms indicated that the central district of Bakhmut was under heavy artillery fire by Ukrainian forces with significant thermal anomalies west of the train tracks and in areas Russian state media has recorded numerous videos showing the location of Russian positions. We maintain that Ukrainian forces control approximately one square kilometer of Bakhmut, or a little less than half a square mile, divided into two pockets. That's roughly 1.8% of the city. In the Klishivka operational area, Russian forces attempted to regain lost positions in the direction of Ivanivske and were unsuccessful. We can now share the intelligence we received last week on the situation south of Klishivka. We received a geolocated video showing Ukrainian forces east of the Severskidonets Donbas Canal in the direction of Andriivka, but did not want to release the information due to operational security. Ukrainian forces were pushed back from the bridgehead, and Russian forces have advanced west of the canal, regaining lost positions in the direction of Bilahora. Although the new video shows Ukrainian forces retook at least one area with relative ease, we updated the war map based on the new intelligence. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, Fighting for control of the forested tracks east of Novokalinovka continued, with Russian forces unable to advance. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that after an extended artillery barrage of Grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, Russian troops attempted to advance on Avdiivka, suffered heavy losses, and retreated to their defensive positions. The 1st Army Corps continued attempts to advance on Pervomaiske, continued suffering heavy losses, including two T-72 main battle tanks, or MBTs, and once again retreated to their defensive positions. Assessment here. The repeated attacks on Pervomaiske have caused Russian forces to suffer hundreds of casualties, and the loss of at least a company of armored vehicles for absolutely no territorial gain. The First Army Corps leaders continue to fall back to the failed tactics of piecemeal attacks using under-equipped troops that often have limited or no armor and artillery support, or armored attacks with no light infantry support. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued within the remains of the city and in the area around it, with Russian forces launching over 20 attacks throughout the day. In occupied Donetsk, insurgents in Mariupol reported that at least 10 Ural trucks loaded with Russian military personnel left the city and headed east into Russia. Moving on to Zaporizhia, Russian forces conducted 78 fire missions on 16 settlements along the line of conflict. There was once again no update on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, so let's move right along to the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region. Operational Command South, or OKS, reported that nine vessels of the Black Sea fleet were on patrol, including the frigate Admiral Makarov, capable of launching up to eight caliber cruise missiles. Near the Bosporus Strait, Russian officials claim that the Russian reconnaissance ship Ivan Khurs was attacked by three surface drones, which the ship's crew destroyed without further incident. 
In occupied Crimea, the Crimean Bridge was closed on May 23rd for, quote, technical reasons, and for part of May 24th for, quote, training exercises. Russia employed smoke to obscure the activity on the bridge. In western and central Ukraine, Russian forces conducted 83 fire missions on Free Kherson, firing 411 artillery rounds, mortars, grad and smirch rockets, drone-delivered IEDs, and bombs, with the city of Kherson targeted twice. Bereslav was shelled and attacked by the Russian Air Force, or VKS, with Fab 500 SE-UPMK glide bombs. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Sumy, Russian forces launched 23 fire missions on seven Khomadas in the Sumy Oblast, firing 84 artillery rounds, mortars, grad rockets fired by MLRS, and bombs. A Russian Fab 500 SE-UPMK glide bomb struck a kindergarten in Unikiv, destroying the school. In the Khotin, Khomada, 30 mortars struck the border region in two attacks, damaging three homes and wounding two civilians. On the Russian front in the Graivoron operational area, Russian state media reporters were invited to tour the great victory of Russian forces in Kozinka in a PR stunt gone bad, with Russian military handlers coming under mortar fire and being forced to flee the settlement, indicating that full civilian control has not been established. Quick sidebar for an important note. We condemn all attacks on the press by all combatants, and we equally condemn when officials intentionally put journalists in active combat zones that have not been properly cleared or without proper escorts. As combatants must protect the press, combatants have an obligation not to use the press as human shields, as the Russian Federation has repeatedly done. Russian officials claim about 500 buildings were damaged and dozens destroyed in the Graivoron region during the two-day occupation. Bilgorod regional governor Vyacheslav Gladkov said that residents are still not allowed to return to Goropodol, Glotovo, or Kosinka, and there are now 3,000 people in territorial defense, but Russian law does not permit arming them. There were reports in the Russian information space that Moscow has refused to arm the Bilgorod territorial defense despite the direct appeal from Gladkov, even after the border incursion. The Freedom of Russia Legion, or FRL, and the Russian Volunteer Corps, or RVK, held a press conference attended by over a hundred reporters and said that the FRL suffered two killed and ten wounded, and the RVK had two wounded. When asked about the Russian partisan raid, Andriy Chernyak, spokesperson for the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, told the Financial Times, quote, of course we communicate with them. Of course we share certain information. And, one might say, we even cooperate. End quote. But denied the separatists received American equipment from Ukraine. United States National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby told reporters, quote, We are investigating reports that American weapons could have been involved. End quote. Adding that the United States disproves of using American weapons on Russian territory. As for the Russian claims and pictures showing destroyed military hardware, numerous analysts outside of our organization have provided compelling evidence that some pictures are staged and involve previously captured equipment. We agree with these assessments. More assessment. 
We cannot confirm or deny if the FRL or RVK received United States military equipment through Ukraine donated or purchased by the United States Department of Defense. The HMMWV, better known as the Humvee, was produced in the tens of thousands and is easily purchased from civilian and military sellers worldwide. Thousands of international MAXPRO were sold or donated to police organizations and governments after the Pentagon over-ordered the mine-resistant armored protection vehicles, called MRAPs. Civilian operators include the Davis, California Police Department, Ohio State University Campus Police, the Wairika, California Police Department, and the West Melbourne, Florida Police Department. While we have no proof that the MAXPROs used by Russian partisans were purchased through other channels, There is a high degree of plausible deniability that the vehicles were directly sourced from the U.S. Department of Defense. Sidebar. For our majority international audience unsure why a small town like Wairika, California, or a public college needs mine-resistant ambush protection vehicles, and wondering, hey, United States, are you okay? No, no, we are not. We are not okay. We are, we are very not okay. There were reports of a fire at the Russian Ministry of Defense in Moscow with gray smoke and the, quote, smell of burning plastic reported. Videos of a larger fire burning in Moscow were unrelated to the fire near the Kremlin. The Ministry of Emergency Situations denied there was a fire at the Kremlin and claimed the smoke was related to nearby construction. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. But first, errors and omissions. Yesterday, we misidentified Roderick Kiesewetter as a Bundestag deputy, when the more accurate title would be Member of the German Bundestag, or MDB. While this may seem pedantic to non-Germans, the term deputy harkens back to the Soviet occupation of East Germany and Berlin. We meant no offense to our German readers and listeners, and we thank you for your understanding. Mikhailo Podolyak, advisor to the head of the Ukrainian president's office, has said that the Ukrainian counteroffensive has been ongoing for several days. Some assessment? Shaping operations have been going on for over a month, including occupying the left bank of the Dnipro River, Russian partisan raids in Bilgorod, supply interdiction, deep artillery strikes in the Svatova and Kremina areas, extensive psychological operations, a tightening of operational security, and achieving fire control of critical ground lines of communication, called GLOCs, those are supply lines, in the Vukhladar operational area. However, we have seen no evidence of the main thrust of the offensive, nor any of the newer NATO-provided military hardware supporting up to 33 reserve brigades. Russian forces launched 36 Shahed-136 kamikaze drones in several waves, with Kyiv as the main target. The Ukrainian Air Force reports all 36 drones were intercepted. More assessment? After Moscow claimed to have destroyed both Patriot batteries in Ukraine, they have yet to launch a KH-47 Kinjal KH-22 anti-ship air-to-surface cruise missile or Iskander short-range ballistic missiles at Kyiv, which, if the Russian claims are accurate, Ukrainian air defenses would have no way to intercept. 
Thunderstorms producing heavy rain and hail are already bringing mud season back to defensive positions along the line of conflict. The head of the main intelligence directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, Kirill Obudanov, said that Ukraine has, quote, accumulated enough forces and weapons to begin deoccupation of Ukrainian territories under Russian control, end quote, and that the Ukrainian offensive, quote, will start soon. PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin skewered the Kremlin and how the special military operation has been conducted to date, reiterating that there are no Nazis in Ukraine, saying, quote, The special military operation is the transition of Ukraine into our pro-Russian fold. If we do that, we must change the top government, kiss the people's asses, and call them in. What have we done? We came in a ham-handed way and walked with our boots all over the territory looking for Nazis. While we were looking for the Nazis, we killed everyone we could. We approached Kyiv, then shit ourselves and withdrew. Then they shit themselves again and withdrew from Kherson, then Izium and Liman. And somehow, things do not work out for us. End quote. Prigozhin also pointed out that Russian efforts to demilitarize Ukraine were unsuccessful while tossing out exaggerated numbers. Quote, if they had conditional 500 tanks at the beginning of the special operation, now they have 5,000 tanks. If they were able to fight with 20,000 people, now they have 400,000. So how did we demilitarize it? It turns out that the opposite is true. Ukraine is one of the strongest armies. They have a high level of organization, training, intelligence, and various weapons. They have everything going for the supreme goal as we had in the Great Patriotic War, but more technologically and more clarity. End quote. A photo from the Associated Press showed Ukrainian Su-24 Yellow-60 armed with a Storm Shadow cruise missile, confirming which platform was modified to deliver the standoff weapons. The U.S. State Department approved the agreement for Ukraine to purchase another NASM's air defense system in a contract valued at $285 million U.S. dollars. In what might be the most shocking news since February 24, 2022, it appears Switzerland's immutable neutrality has been broken. The Swiss government has agreed to decommission 25 Leopard 2 tanks to sell back to Germany. Germany will agree not to transfer the tanks to Ukraine, but could transfer up to 25 tanks from existing inventory in a three-way arms deal. In another glorious achievement to demilitarize Ukraine by Russian President Vladimir Putin, who is also, by the way, NATO Salesperson of the Year for 2022, congratulations on that, Japan announced it was transferring 100 military vehicles to Ukraine, including heavy trucks and SUVs, the first transfer of military equipment to a nation fighting a war in 80 years. Right-hand drive vehicles are highly prized in the Ukrainian military, because Russian snipers will shoot at the passenger side, thinking they're aiming for the driver. Some units have put dolls in the passenger seat to create a fake target, and donated vehicles from Australia and the United Kingdom have been credited with saving Ukrainian lives. Swedish CV-90 infantry fighting vehicles have already arrived in Slovakia as NATO nations dust off their Cold War playbook and continue to streamline military logistics. Sweden has promised 50 of the CV-90s to Ukraine. Ambassador of Ukraine to Germany Oleksiy Makiev showed some of the 110 Leopard 1A5 tanks being prepared for Ukraine with the message, quote, soon. 
The 1A5 upgrade program started in 1980 and was implemented in 1987. The turret was modified to move where ammunition is stored and uses the Krupp Atlas Electronic EMES-18 fire control system developed from the EMES-15 used by the Leopard 2. In addition, the 1A5 has upgraded armor. Formal training of 250 Ukrainian troops in the operation of the United States M1A1 Abrams will start the week of May 30th. Most trainees are experienced tankers who will take an accelerated 10-week course. The Wall Street Journal confirmed that South Korea had agreed to, quote, loan up to 1.5 million 155-millimeter artillery shells in its inventory to the United States in a circular trade agreement. The United States will immediately transfer artillery ammunition from its existing stock to Ukraine and use the South Korean rounds to replenish the U.S. inventory. In exchange, the United States will replace the borrowed artillery rounds in the future as new artillery shells are produced. So, a lot of people have been asking us, is Ukrainian Commander-in-Chief Valery Zaluzhny dead? Brain dead? Or brain injured? Following the root of the claim, we found it comes from a DNR hacker group named Joker, which claims he's had several surgeries. However, the Russian version of Pravda pointed out that Zaluzhny appeared publicly on May 20th at the National University of Odessa Law Academy via video feed and on May 12th, four days after the alleged missile attack caused brain damage. Perhaps most convincingly, Zaluzhny released a video of himself disputing the claim earlier today. Speaking of brain damage, let's talk about the Russian military, mobilization, and Mir. Russia and Belarus reminded the world that their already-announced plan to forward-deploy tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus is still happening, with Russian Minister of Defense Shoigu confirming that the authorization for use would lie with Moscow. A draft proposal has been submitted to the State Duma, which would mandate that schoolchildren participate in, quote, socially useful work. Some readers and listeners who grew up in the Soviet Union are likely shuddering from the memories of mandated work in potato and beet fields and whitewashing the base of trees, city curbs, and walls, as was required during the era. PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin must have woken up and chosen violence, again, saying Colonel General Mikhail Mizintsev and General of the Army Sergei Serovyakin are ideal candidates for Russian Minister of Defense and Russian Chief of the General Staff, respectively. The Minister of Defense, he said, should not be a, quote, political figure, but deal with the military machine, adding that Russia was closer to 1917 than 1709. On May 23rd in Moscow, Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill Gundayev's car was involved in a serious accident in the center of Moscow. It was unclear if the religious leader, FSB agent, and nationalist was in the vehicle, but he was reportedly unharmed. In occupied Zaporizhia, two Russian Mobics were found passed out drunk on the side of the road and were moved to an outdoor cell as punishment. Four senior police officials and one police officer of the Moscow Police Department are under criminal investigation after the Russian Security Service, or FSB, found a safe in an office with millions in rubles allegedly collected by selling computer tablets that connect to police investigative resources. 
The FSB alleges over 20 were sold for 1.7 to 2.5 million rubles each, with at least one journalist under investigation for being a buyer. Investigators claim that one of the tablets was used to track the SUV owned by Alexander Dugin, contributing to the assassination of Daria Dugina on August 20, 2022. Wives, mothers, and fathers made a video appeal to President Putin, claiming that the neo-Nazi volunteer Russian military brigade veterans bought 501 Mobics for 25,000 rubles each, that's about 313 U.S. dollars, and mobilized them to Bakhmut, where they fought side-by-side side with PMC Wagner. They claim that the Russian MOD will give them no information, and of the 501 who were purchased, only 130 are accounted for, and many of them are wounded. Citing independent Russian journalists who reviewed court records, the British Defense Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense claimed there had been 1,053 prosecutions of deserters and Russian soldiers who were absent without leave, or AWOL, in 2023 so far, more than all of 2022. The Russian military has struggled to maintain discipline in its ranks throughout the war in Ukraine, but with forced mobilization, the problem has become more acute. Court records indicate that most of those found guilty were given suspended sentences, enabling redeployment to Ukraine, where they are likely sent to penal units to be used in human wave attacks. The report said, quote, Russia's efforts to improve discipline have focused on making examples of deserters and promoting patriotic zeal, rather than addressing the root causes of soldiers' disillusionment. End quote. In Melitopol, a T-55 tank that was part of a memorial has been removed by Russian occupiers for restoration and returned to combat service. The tank has been on static display for almost 50 years. The charge of treason against Russian scientist Alexander Shiplyuk, the former director of the Institute of Theoretical and Applied Mechanics, or ITAM, of the Siberian branch of the Russian Academy of Sciences, is based on the alleged transfer of top-secret information to China, according to a report in Reuters. Shipliuk was arrested in August 2022 and is facing a life sentence. The FSB is accusing the scientist of handing over classified materials at a scientific conference in China in 2017. He has maintained his innocence, arguing that the information in question is not classified and was available on the Internet. Shipluk spent more than a decade working on the Russian hypersonic missile program, such as the KH-47 Kinjal, which has not lived up to expectations. Multiple Russian mill bloggers shared links on Russian websites where military equipment and hardware are for sale, including trench diggers and heavy trucks, pointing out the Russian military units are having to drive UAZ loafs, derisively called Scooby-Doo vans, and beg for shovels and chainsaws to build fortifications. One ad showed a PZMK trench digger for sale, while a collection of ads on the Facebook clone VK were posted as examples of ongoing corruption. But hey, all is going to plan. In War Crimes and Human Rights, Ukrainian officials claim that Russian occupiers conducted an extrajudicial execution by public hanging in occupied Nizhny Luvanka, Luhansk, after a man refused to denounce his pro-Ukrainian views. The NATO Parliamentary Assembly unanimously recognized Russia's crimes against Ukraine as genocide 
and the terrorist regime in Russia as racism. At the assembly session in Luxembourg, a declaration was adopted with the unanimous support of parliamentarians from NATO countries for the international tribunal and assistance to Ukraine before victory and after it. In addition, the document recognizes Russia's crimes against Ukraine as genocide, condemns the ideology of racism, supports the restoration of territorial integrity, sanctions and reparations, and a Marshall Plan for Ukraine. Roman Protasevich, an opposition journalist and one of the founders of the Nexta Telegram channel, who was sentenced by the Belarusian regime to eight years in prison, has been pardoned. Protasevich's girlfriend, Sofia Sapega, was sentenced to six years in prison and, after pleading guilty, testified against her colleagues. She expected to receive a pardon, which was not granted, and has petitioned to be transferred to Russia. A quick note. The staff of Malcontent News and WBHG News thanks the Belarusian regime for releasing Roman Protasevich and calls upon the Lukashenko regime to release all journalists imprisoned, including Sofia Sapega, and recognize the rights of a free and fair press. In geopolitical news, the dark potato prince and illegitimate leader of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, instructed Dmitry Krutoy, Belarus's ambassador to Russia, that he wanted to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin face-to-face in Moscow to discuss, quote, problems that should not exist in relations, end quote. On May 24th, Lukashenko arrived in Moscow and got his meeting with President Putin, where they were all smiles after Lukashenko was told he would have nuclear weapons stored in the potato kingdom. Polish General Waldemar Szypczak, quoting a report from a think tank, said that Poles should be ready to support Belarusian military units willing to overthrow Lukashenko as he no longer has the military capacity to prevent a popular uprising and Russia is incapable of responding. Some assessment. It has been widely speculated that Lukashenko has played the role he has out of fear that if he were to commit his troops outside of Belarus, it would present a significant threat to his power. On May 20th, Georgian Airways made its first flight on the Tbilisi-Moscow route, with Georgian President Salome Zurabishvili saying she would not board the company's planes again. Heavily government-subsidized Georgian Airways issued retaliatory, quote, sanctions on the president, saying she is persona non grata now and will not be allowed to board any aircraft. The resumption of air service to Russia from Georgia sparked mass protests. In June 2023, a delegation of six African presidents plans to visit Ukraine and Russia, seeking to increase grain and fertilizer exports. The delegation wants to discuss starting a peace process and settle how Russia can be paid for fertilizers, quote, that Africa desperately needs, without violating sanctions. The delegation will include the presidents of South Africa, Senegal, Egypt, the Republic of Congo, Uganda, and Zambia. The talks have been endorsed by the U.S., the European Union, the United Nations, the African Union, and China, and both Russia and Ukraine have agreed to host the delegation. In economic news, Russians are told to prepare for contact lens shortages after Johnson & Johnson sent notices to suppliers to suspend imports to the Russian Federation. Prices for contact lenses reportedly doubled after the J&J announcement. Finland terminated its natural gas supply contract with Russia after a nearly year-long legal battle. 
The Finnish company Gasum had its Russian gas supply cut off last year because Russia refused to accept euros after declaring Finland a, quote, unfriendly nation. Gasum did not agree to the new terms and appealed for arbitration. The courts ruled in favor of Gasum, determining it was not obligated to pay in rubles. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.